This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It is a household name now, the N95 mask, also known as the N95 respirator, and it is key to preventing the spread of the coronavirus. The biggest maker, 3M. You probably know the multi-billion dollar manufacturing company for the things you use every day, right? Like scotch tape and post-it notes. Well, 3M stands for Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing, and it's based in my home state of Minnesota. Today, the company is in the spotlight for its N95 mask production, both because it's very effective at filtering out airborne particles and because of the shortage of these masks throughout the pandemic. I'm Poppy Harlow, and on this special episode of Boss Files, I sit down exclusively with 3M Chairman and CEO Mike Roman, and he tells me how 3M surged production of N95 masks with plans to deliver 2 billion globally by the end of the year. Plus, how this pandemic has shaped how they prepare for the future and the potential of another virus outbreak. Also, the personal responsibility he feels to make sure that essential PPE is available for all of our frontline healthcare workers. Here's my conversation with 3M CEO, Mike Roman. Mike Roman, I appreciate you being with me today. Thanks so much. Poppy, it's great to be on Boss Files. Thank you for having me. Of course. Mike, what is 3M today? Well, 3M has always been about science applied to life. And our our vision is to improve lives. And, and that has carried us really well in the middle of COVID. It, it's who we were before COVID and it showed up in our consumer products, as you noted, but it was also part of our technology and products that helped companies around the world, helped uh, healthcare providers around the world, really made a difference for large manufacturers. And, it, and it's at the heart of what we're doing in the middle of COVID. And, and I'm really proud of the way 3Mers have stepped up and taken that that purpose and vision and applied it to fighting the pandemic from every angle. 3M, I think it's fair to say, is one of the most important companies, not only in America today, but in the world today. I mean, we cannot have life as we knew it without 3M and without the PPE that you guys are making. What is it like to run a company that so quickly and dramatically has changed in terms of importance to human survival? Well, it, it really has required that we step up. Uh, and I talked about, I'm proud of the way 3Mers have stepped up, but it, it required that we stepped up in other ways. Uh, expectations were raised. In the middle of the pandemic, we were looked to for leadership, especially in areas like personal protective equipment and the now famous N95 respirators being so critical to protecting frontline healthcare workers and first responders. And so that was that was a big expectation and there were new dimensions to it. We we knew we would have to step up in delivering additional N95s to ramp up our capacity. It's something we learned back in SARS more than uh, a decade ago that we were gonna be looked to for leadership. And so we invested in capacity to have it ready for the next emergency, the next pandemic. And, and so that was already part of our playbook. We knew we would be looked for that leadership and, and we doubled our output of N95s early as we saw the pandemic and the outbreak. 
we then stepped forward and, and, and really increased our investments to do even more. And in partnership with governments and in the US with the Department of Defense, we've added a big investment to double again our output of N95s. At the same time, those expectations had other dimensions. We needed to step up and fight price gouging and fraud because that was a big concern of our customers. So it was new areas for us. At, and we have always prided ourselves on having strong partnerships, you know, public-private partnerships around the world, governments at all level. But in the middle of the pandemic, it took on new dimensions. The urgency was greater, and we really had to, we really had to step into that too. We had to put, uh, you know, strong leadership forward to make sure we could accelerate timelines, move in days instead of weeks, and weeks instead of months. And and I think that those dimensions, those were new expectations for us. Our team is very passionate about saving lives, improving lives, and and it really. Uh, heated the call very, very well. I, I do want to talk about the rapid test that you've been developing with MIT for COVID-19. The goal is to deliver results in minutes for it not to have to go to a lab, for it to basically print out on paper, if you will. How, how far are you, do you believe, from an answer uh, from the FDA on whether they'll approve that? And what do your initial results tell you about the accuracy? Well, it's a, this is an exciting opportunity, and there couldn't be a better partner than MIT to be pursuing this. And it, it's one of those areas that came out of attacking the pandemic from every angle. How can we leverage 3M technology, our science applied to new solutions? And this emerged as an opportunity that we could bring some of our material science capabilities to partner with MIT and, and develop this rapid test. And so we've, with the National Institutes of Health, we, we have that partnership underway. We are working right now on developing an accurate and rapid test, and and there's more work to be do be done there. But as we move forward, we can bring 3M technology to rapidly scale that. Do, do you think you're months away, weeks away from an FDA approval? What's the timeline here? We're right in the middle of really developing the accurate test, and so it's we need to take a couple more steps before we can put a timeline out there and and really it needs to be proven out and but I, yes. as i said having a partner like mit we are in a good position to to really put our best foot forward all right let's talk about n95 respirators or masks i'm going to use the the term masks layman's terms here for it um look you're on this path to produce 95 million a month this fall to produce 2 billion by the end of 2020 did you ever though, Mike, model for a pandemic of this magnitude? I know you learned a lot after SARS, but what about a pandemic like this? Yeah, the, the, the investment that we put in place coming out of SARS was the first step in fighting this kind of scale of pandemic. And, and the additional investments in capacity that we made in partnership with the DOD here in the U.S. to get to that $95 million per month that, that was really in response to the scope and scale of the pandemic. And so that was a stepping up of where we started the year. So it, it was a partnership that really is making the difference. And, and as you said, we'll deliver to customers, uh, frontline healthcare workers, first responders, and other critical uh, workers, we'll deliver a billion respirators, N95 respirators in, in this year, in 2020. So it's really a, and amazing. We we doubled with our idle capacity, and then we doubled again with these additional investments. And the the timeline to put those investments in place has been tremendous acceleration over what is, you know, even the most rapid approach in in normal times. I know 
you guys surged capacity way early. I mean, you know, back in, in January, at the end of January, you started doing this. But here's the reality uh, that, that so many are facing on the ground. I'm sure you saw the survey out of the American Nurses Association. One in three nurses in this country says they are short or out of N95 masks. Uh, an ER doctor who's a very good friend of mine is reusing theirs for five days in a row, then putting it in a paper bag to try to get it sanitized, then repeating and repeating. They were totally out of them at their hospital in June and July. So I'm going to ask a really simple question, um, but one I think a lot of people have. Why is it still so hard for folks to get N95 masks? Well, it's the, as I said, it, it's the capacity that we had available and the demand that came out of the pandemic. We were not in a position to meet that demand. Even today, the demand for N95s is greater than not only our production capacity, but the entire industry. And so we're still facing a challenge to meet that demand. And, and we are working in partnership with other companies to look at ways that you can reuse N95s. We're also exploring ways to bring other kinds of respiratory solutions. We have disposable, uh, reusable respirators, which are another solution. They, they can't meet all the demand either, but it's, there are other things that we're doing to fight it from every angle. Still, at the center of it, it's our best way to do that is to ramp up capacity of N95s. For sure. I mean, you, you know the number out of that HHS hearing back in March that a pandemic like this, another one, you know, would need 3.5 billion N95 respirators a year. And I'm like, like, this isn't your fault. You guys were in front of this. You guys started producing more of these back in late January, as I said. I, I just wonder what the lesson is learned for the country going forward, right? If we have another pandemic and if... It, if you think the U.S. wasn't prepared for this, I mean, look how much was lacking in the national stockpile. Uh, was that a failure of the administration and of Congress? Well, I think what one of the lessons that's clearly already being learned is is investing in inventory and capacity. And it's it's uh, public-private partnerships that are doing that. Part of the investment in, with the DOD is to be able to have capacity to build an inventory of, of N95s. It, it's also true we're doing that in partnership with healthcare providers, making sure that they have sufficient inventory. And it's so it's there's a learning that's coming out of this pandemic that we broadly we were not ready for the demand uh, in the in PPE. I would say more broadly for us, uh, you know, big focus on N95s. And so we're we're taking those lessons forward. We're taking those lessons forward as a company and, and, and what we're investing in and capacity and how we're managing that. But we're also taking it forward in in partnerships with governments and healthcare providers and, and other customers around the world. Speaking of real partnership with the government and the private sector, when is the last time you spoke with the president about this? Well, I have contact with all levels of government on a regular basis, federal, uh, state, and local, and, and around the world. And so we've had a very, very close partnership with the federal government on N95s. Uh, since the, the outbreak. And I, I had early conversations with the president and vice president about our partnership. And then we've worked very closely with FEMA, and Health and Human Services, and the DOD to follow through on those commitments. And we've done an incredible job. This is an example of a stepped-up public-private partnership and what you can do. And we've, we've really done more than we thought we could at the beginning of this to deliver additional respirators into the U.S. I remember when the vice president and Dr. Dr. Burks came and visited and toured with you, 3M. That was all the way back in, in March to see what, what you were Early doing. Early March, yeah. Um, yeah. So 
as I said, you guys started ramping up your production of N95 respirators back in early January. But now we have learned from the journalist Bob Woodward that the president knew on February 7th that this pandemic could be much worse than he was telling the American public and that it was transmitted through the air. And I wonder if you think from the position you sit in leading 3M, if the president had been upfront with the public about what he knew in early February about COVID-19, would PPE, would masks like the ones that you make have gotten to the hospitals faster? Would it saved American lives? Well, I think the, the entire industry and 3M as part of it, and in partnership with governments, we were ramping up our ability to supply N95s beginning in January and moving through February and March. And we really stepped up, as I said, the, the partnership in March to do even more. And so I, I think it was a, a process where we were, we were really looking at, we believe we were doing everything we could as a company as part of that and in those partnerships. And I, like I was saying at the beginning, we, expectations were raised. We had to do more than just ramp up production. We had to also make sure that, that it was getting to the most need in the healthcare workers and that we were fighting things like fraud to make a difference. So there was a lot of things that we were all doing together to make a difference. So I, I really, I think we did a great job of ramping quickly. For sure. You guys were ramping up before. It's just not every company was ramping up the way that you were. And I just wonder if you think that PPE like masks would have gotten to these hospitals faster and American lives could have been saved had you and the whole industry and the public known what the president knew about the disease in early February. Would that have helped? Well, I think you would have to go back quite a ways in time to really be able to add additional capacity. Because really the difference maker for us has been the additional capacity we've been able to bring online. And, and we had idle capacity and we brought that online beginning in January. So we, we, we were ramped up within weeks uh, fully on that. That wasn't something that waited until later in the pandemic. Uh, and then it's a matter of bringing additional investments and in us as a company, other companies, that was something, uh, if we could have started that earlier, you know, back in 2019, we might have had a chance to be there earlier. But I think we, we made decisions to invest capital, additional capital in first quarter to add capacity. We could see the need to do that. And then in partnership with, with the government, we, we did even more. So I, I really think we stepped up. There was, there was no holding back on increasing capacity to get N95s and looking for the way to get N95s to the most critical need, get it to the, the greatest need in those healthcare workers and first responders. Mike, what was that moment for you like personally? If you can sort of step back from just the CEO seat, what was it like for you personally when you know you got that call from Dr. Osterholm in, at the University of Minnesota, I know, who reached out to the company in January and said, this is going to be big and this is going to be bad, and you guys started surging capacity then. What was it like? Can you remind, Can you tell me about that moment when you found out how big this was going to be in your huge role as a company in it? Well, it was it was really a call to action for us. And it and as I said, we had been prepared. We had we had stepped up in the face of other emergencies, hurricanes and and fires and and, and other, you know, other outbreaks, but nothing at this scale. So we were we have a response team ready and we activated them in January. They took the lead and our leadership in the company working together with them, we activated our, our, decision, our decisions to ramp up capacity to add investments. So I think it was, it was, it was a, a very serious moment for us, a big responsibility, but something that we were ready for and passionate about. And, and I, I don't, you know, I think it was, I'm very proud of the way we, we stepped forward without hesitation. We, we 
did things more quickly than than we would in any other situation. And so I, I think that speaks to how we responded, which I think is 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 really the 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 way I th remember it is is the way we stepped up and responded. Did you expect, Mike? You mentioned counterfeits and fraud at the beginning. I mean, did you expect that you guys would have to be, you know, fielding four thousand different reports of, of fraud and counterfeiting and price gouging of of your respirators, filing all of these lawsuits? I mean, this has become such a serious issue and another front that you have to fight in the middle of just trying to get enough PPE out there. Well, it certainly was not something we thought we would would have to take at that level. We we didn't anticipate. I'm not sure we we had envisioned that being uh, one of the big challenges we would face. And and but it was really important and and I you know it it felt like we you know, stepped up quickly. When you look back, we, you know, now our learning is that we have to be there right from the beginning. We have to be helping with information. We have to be helping with partnership with law enforcement to make sure we're out in front identifying potential fraud, identifying price gouging. You know, we as a company made decisions in how we were going to work with our distribution partners, and we have very uh, highly reputable distribution partners, but there's a much broader market out there and we had to step in and help fight that. So it wasn't something we had envisioned at that scale, but again, it, it's now it's a, a learning and an expectation. It's in the middle of COVID, companies have had the spotlight put on them, not just 3M, but many companies in new ways. Expectations are higher. We will take that forward. That'll be part of our new normal as a company. It'll be part of how we think about our role in, in these situations. The, uh, in April, the Trump administration enacted the Defense Production Act uh, to ensure more 3M masks in the United States. But the president tweeted on April 2nd, we hit 3M hard today after seeing what they're doing with masks. We'll have a big price to pay. You responded saying the narrative that we're not doing everything we can to maximize delivery of respirators in our home country. Nothing could be further from the truth. Did the president lie about 3M and what it was doing at that moment? Well, I would say the Defense Production Act, the partnership that came out of that, really has really has helped deliver additional respirators into the U.S. market. And that partnership, ultimately uh, working with the White House and then with FEMA, has enabled us to bring additional respirators from our overseas facilities. That's uh, been something that has made a big difference. We delivered in the first three months 165 million additional respirators into the U.S. market. So I would say. That partnership that came out of, of that time and of the Defense Production Act has really made a difference. And, and I, back to you know, expectations being higher, the, the, the requirement for us to work in public-private partnerships, it, it took on new dimensions under, under the pandemic. And this was an example where through the DPA, we were able to do more. And so I, I look at it as being a very successful partnership and, and continues. We continue to work under this to deliver more. Uh, we're all glad that it's so successful, right? Because we need it and we're going to need it for a long time going forward. I guess I'm just talking about, you know, your company and, you know, what your company was doing for a long time and the reputation of 3M and the hard work of 3Mers. When you heard that from the president, you called the, the claims absurd. I'm just wondering if, if it concerns you that that rhetoric was used about your company. Well, as I said at the beginning, I'm very proud of the way we've responded. And I I think that has 
come through the partnerships that has come through our actions and and I think where we've gotten to has been you know has a, such a big positive impact on the fight with the pandemic that that's really the measure of of all the challenges that we've faced as we've come along. More from my conversation with Mike Roman after the break. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And now back to my conversation with 3M chairman and CEO, Mike Roman. One of the things I think is really important for people to know is that you are an American company, right? You're based in the Twin Cities, but you're global. I mean, you have factories all over the world. You've got 29 factory facilities here in the United States producing masks for the United States. But you also produce all over the world. And for, in some of these markets, you guys have been the sole providers of N95 masks during this pandemic. You talked about, you've talked about humanitarian concerns. Can you elaborate on that? That if you pulled back from production in some other countries, that there would be humanitarian costs. And it brings up the issue of, you know, is an American life worth more than any other life. Explain what you were so worried about. Well, I, I, to your, your setup, Poppy, our, our model, the 3M model, never has it been more clear the value that that brings. And, and that is really uh, represented here in the US uh, first and foremost. We're you know, American headquartered and, and, and American uh, roots for our company. We, we build our capacity, our capabilities close to our customers around the world. Uh, in the US, as you mentioned, we have 80 factories in 29 states, and we we produce nearly everything we sell in the U.S. in factories in the U.S., including our largest production of N95 respirators. We do that around the world. We we produce locally for the demand locally. We we have not offshored production to import back into the U.S. We build out our capabilities and our manufacturing around the world to serve our customers locally. And that's true in respirators. We built out capacity around the world to serve those markets. In normal times, most of that production goes to industrial customers. It's really protecting industrial workers. In the times of a pandemic, it really flips over to be a vast majority going in to protect healthcare workers and first responders. And that's true everywhere. And we continue to this point, we're supplying 
those frontline healthcare workers and first responders around the world. And we've been able to manage our global supply chain. And under the DPA, in partnership with, with FEMA, we've been able to manage to bring some capacity of, that we have available around the world back into the U.S. and a significant amount to make a difference. And that's part of right. You've being been able bringing to bring some it. masks from China, from Asia, back to the United States. Right, and that's that's an opportunity to really bring our supply to the hotspots. While we build out that capacity to serve local markets, we are in a position to bring that capability to serve the needs wherever they're greatest. And and beginning in March and April, it was really in the U.S. And so it was really, a, I think, a testament to our model and our capabilities and flexibility to be able to to bring that back. But it, it was also a result of that public-private partnership. So it's. It was, you know, it's, it's, it's something that we had to work to get in place and it was, you know, it took us uh, some days to do that, but it really has paid dividends. And it's that model that you talked about has been at the root of that and the foundation. And, and we've served customers, continue to serve customers around, and, and I would say healthcare workers and first responders around the world. Mike, I, um, I'm, I am always interested when I talk to leaders like you about sort of the state of capitalism and shareholder capitalism versus stakeholder capitalism. And I'm really interested in your take on that in this moment because obviously you have a fiduciary responsibility to your shareholders, but you also now have this sort of incredible human health responsibility and, and are essential to human survival. How do you, how do you think about that, to those two, and who your primary responsibility is to? Well, in the middle of COVID, we've had three clear priorities, and we've had those from from the beginning of our ramp up in serving the pandemic. And and the first is protecting our employee safety. So that one of our key stakeholders is our employees. We have to make sure we're protecting them, keeping them safe at work. That's led to new safety protocols in factories as we continue to operate those. It's led to working remotely in many places around the world. And so that's the first priority. The second is fighting the pandemic from every angle. And that is really about serving our customers, but serving communities and society more broadly, helping to protect frontline healthcare workers and first responders. And our third priority is continuing to deliver for our customers and shareholders. And we we think those are all connected. We can't do our best job of delivering for shareholders if we aren't delivering for customers and protecting our employees and, and thinking about uh, how we deliver in the face of something like the pandemic. So it really, th- these are really interlinked and you can't, you can't deliver on a priority of serving shareholders without being able to deliver for those customers. So I think those priorities in COVID have been really clear for us and have focused us in the right areas and have served us well. If we could just, I really, you're such a bellwether for the economy. And I know you're out now with your your August numbers. You're releasing these monthly numbers because things change so much month to month. What are you seeing, Mike? Are you are you seeing good signs? Are you seeing a slowing? Well, there's still a lot of uncertainty out there. That said, there have been encouraging signs. We've seen uh, increases in elective procedures in medical uh, medical solutions for us in in uh, oral care. We've seen uh, sequentially improvements there. We've seen uh, improvements in areas like automobile builds. Uh, we've seen, I, I would say, strength in areas like home improvement and continued demand in areas like personal protective equipment and biopharma filtration. So it's, 
we have seen sequentially uh, momentum in the end markets, and those are showing through in our sales. We, we took the unusual uh, decision in second quarter. We suspended our guidance for the year with all the uncertainty we're seeing, but we decided that we would report monthly sales, and so we've continued that. April, May, June, July, now August. And, and if you look at July and August in third quarter, you can see that momentum in those end markets coming through. We have, we have positive growth through two months in third quarter. And that's off of a minus 13% organic growth in Q2. So you're seeing that sequential improvement. And while there's still a lot of uncertainty, we do see that that positive trend as, as likely for the quarter. So it's, it is, uh, I think, that reflective of that momentum. Yeah, it's, it's important, too, about what it may say about the broader economy and recovery. Let's talk a little bit about innovation. I mean, you are a science company. You're an innovation company at, at your roots. You have, you know, about half your workforce, about 50,000 folks working from home right now, Mike. Talk, talk to me about if you think, like Facebook and Twitter have said, that that may become permanent work from home for many of their employees. Do you, do you, do you think the same at 3M, or do you want people back in the office when it's safe? And what is the future of work? I mean, how has COVID upended the future of work and innovation? Well, there, there are trends that were there before COVID that have accelerated in the middle of COVID. You know, how we live, how we work, how we communicate. Uh, I would say customer expectations and, and how you serve them. Those are all things that have accelerated under COVID. And, and this future of work is, you know, what is that going to be? The, I think we, we've seen dimensions of working remotely, uh, how we work together remotely. For us as a company, one of the big uh, challenges, even as a global company before COVID, is how do we innovate together around the world? How do we innovate with our customers? How do we innovate with our teams around the world? And in the is middle of COVID, I think we've learned- home? Is it hard? I mean, you guys hold 122,000 plus patents, right? I mean, I, is it? can you innovate from home the same way? It's gonna be important to have uh, to be able to have in-person engagements as well. But I've been incredibly impressed with how we have stepped into innovation. And we talked earlier about the partnership with MIT. That was all done in, in very short order in partnership remotely. And I was our R&D people working together. Now that said, a lot of our, our scientists and engineers need to use our laboratory facilities. And, and we've continued to provide access to a, a small percentage of the workforce in the middle of this uh, working from home kind of dynamic to be able to access those, those lab facilities. And, and clearly we continue to operate our factories and we have people in person in the factories and we've modified our, our work uh, protocols and safety procedures to be able to support that safely. But it's, it's going to, in the, in the long run, it's gonna be important that we do have the ability to work together in person there will be a new normal that has much bigger percentage of working remotely, including, I think, innovating, applying science to life. That's going to be a, a, a much bigger um, remote percentage than it's been in the past. Well, I miss it. It's lonely here in the office. I miss seeing people. <laughs> so I look forward to the day that it's safe for everyone to be back together. If I could, uh, Mike, before we go, I do want to talk about diversity. You guys just announced a major investment in diversity, a $50 million five-year commitment to really addressing the racial opportunity gaps in this country. And uh, following the killing of George Floyd in both of our hometown, you know, the Twin Cities, the town that 3M calls home, 
you said this. You said, we have to do something different. We have to make a difference this time. And you had a very candid series of conversations with black employees at 3M. Um, as a white man with considerable power in that city at your company, what did you learn from that? Well, it was, as you said, the killing of George Floyd, uh, it hit us all hard. It hit 3Mers. It hit our African-American community especially hard. It, For me, it was a call to action. And, and I really do believe companies and company leaders can and need to make a difference. We are, we are, we are good at some of the things that need to be done. And we, we came out with a, a frame. We knew that we didn't know how to jump into action right away. And so we, we came out with a frame of listening, understanding, acting, and we did engage inside 3M and outside of the company with other companies included in the communities that we're part of to really look for where can we make the biggest difference and how can we make the difference this time and, and that companies need to be part of it. We announced uh, yesterday, in fact, uh, a $50 million investment over the next five years. That's, that's part of that to help address systemic barriers. Uh, it, it really has focused in on a couple of areas where we see strengths of 3M making a difference. And one of those areas is, is racial justice for the future of work. And how can we help with STEM education and skilled labor and manufacturing jobs and and economic development in general. That's a place that 3M has a lot of strengths and putting a focus on the Twin Cities community to make a difference here, you know, where our headquarters home is. Uh, so that was a really clear focus for us. The Twin Cities is very diverse, right? And it's about really equal and proportional representation at the top of our of our companies, it's so important. I mean, you, you guys have hired your first ever director of social justice, strategy and initiatives, Garfield Bowen. Um, and I know that that is a significant move. If you could also just speak to your thoughts on leadership and making companies more diverse at the top. Um, you have a 13-member leadership team. None of those members are black. You do have two of 11 board members that are African-American. Do you think that that needs to change? Do you think that you can make the changes you want to make internally um, without more diversity at the top? Well, we have been focused on, on diversity and inclusion for some time, and we've made some good progress. We have 60% of our top 100 leaders are diverse. Uh, a third of our board is diverse, including the, the two uh, that you mentioned. We are, have a third of our senior leadership is diverse. That said, there's much more to do, especially with underrepresented groups. And so we, we see this as the other area of focus for us. When I talk about acting and making a difference this time, it's really empowering diversity, equity, and inclusion inside of 3M and outside. And we have to make sure we're doing both in order to really step up and take the leadership responsibility that we have. So I, I, these are areas that we have, to, we have to listen, understand, and then take new actions to, to drive that, that idea that there's much more to do and, and we need to do it. You guys last year, 3M came out with a fascinating survey, right? The State of Science Index. And one of the findings in it that you've talked about that I was, I was really interested in is that you also found in it that people, quote, thought science, in your words, could be used to reinforce a certain agenda that it couldn't be trusted. 35% uh, were skeptical of science. That was an increase from the year prior. Why do you think that's happening in 2020? Well, I think that there was a couple of findings in that survey that were also a call to action. We, 
we have uh, some big aspirations in uh, in our strategies and our and our values around sustainability. One is science for circular and circular economy. Another is science for climate and making a difference there. But the third one, science for communities, really gets at what we're hearing back in our state of science index. We, we're looking for how do we promote STEM and how do we promote science and how do we make a difference? And that survey really opened our eyes to the fact that there is a large percentage of, of the population out there that looks at science as being democratized, that it isn't absolute and objective. And we, we need to make a difference as a company. It's another place where we can promote really the impact of science and, and the difference it can make. It was interesting also in that same survey, we had something like 40% of the respondents said they don't believe science has had a meaningful impact on their lives. And keep in mind, most of them were responding on a mobile device. So it's it. There's work to be done there, and and so I I see it as a call to action, much more than just 3M. But it was it was important for us. We have a another uh, you know another decision we took was to put a chief science advocate in place to help really make a difference. And this is uh, supporting our DE and I kinds of initiatives, but it's also this idea of following through and promoting science and promoting STEM education. And we have partnerships externally that, that we leverage to do more as well. So I, I think it's a call to action to step up there. It, it, we are a science-based company. Uh, it's part of our brand. It's part of who we are. It's part of how we attract employees. It's how we make a difference for our customers. So responding to some of those challenges in that index, that's gonna make us a stronger company and, and help us make a bigger difference. With science such a focus of your, your company and this response to COVID, we just heard the president this week question climate change in California, saying, I don't think the science knows. Are his denials adding to the problem? Do you, do you get worried as an engineer, as a scientist, when you hear that? Well, I think science is, is about learning and, and developing greater understanding. And I think that's, uh, that's where we can make a difference. I, I, I look at uh, that as our role. And, and as I said, we have partners and we're, our focus is broad on our stakeholders. I think they have expectations for 3M to step up and, and make a difference with our science. And I think that's that's where we can make a difference uh, as a company, but we're gonna need partners. We're gonna need uh, partners uh, in other companies and in universities and, and in government as well. And so I, I think it's uh, we're, we're, it's an ongoing process for us as a company. Mike, I've taken too much of your time. I'm grateful to you much more to talk about, but I'd love for you to come back at some point to do that. Uh, and just thank you very much for, for what you and your entire team of about 100,000 folks have done for all of us in this pandemic. Thank you too, Poppy. I, great, great to be on with you today, and we will continue to fight the pandemic from every angle. Thank you so much for being with me for this special episode of Boss Files. Tune in for more interviews like this to come. And also, tell me what you think. Who do you want to hear from? What do you want to hear more of? Leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow me on social media at Poppy Harlow CNN. Thanks for being with us. Boss Files is a production of CNN Audio. Felicia Patikin is the senior producer. Raj Makija is the senior manager of production operations. This week's episode was produced by Zach St. Louis, Nora Noos, and a special thanks to Megan Marcus, Ashley Lusk, Courtney Coop, and Daniel Cantor from CNN Audio. It takes a village. And of course, to our production assistant, Rebecca Filgaris.
quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.